Hello there, I'm Paul Mitchell, speaker and author and founder of The Human Enterprise. Well, welcome to Enterprise Radio, where we interview transformational leaders from business, the community, sport and the arts. It's really impossible, if you think about it, to lead others until we've learnt to lead ourselves. So in this interview, we focus on self-leadership, the leadership required not just to lead yourself, but to lead yourself to gold medal performance. But uh, not just any gold medal, I am talking about Olympic gold. So my guest today is Kerry Potters, who is an Australian Olympic gold medalist for beach volleyball. So no matter what goals you're going for uh, in your personal or professional life, Kerry's lessons will really help you get there. Uh, you'll hear her talk about the years of training required for success and how the learning never stops, that it's, it's never an overnight uh, sensation, the importance of resilience and, and resetting new goals when everyone else has possibly given up the ghost and maybe even given up the ghost on you, how role models make a huge difference, how nothing happens without discipline, and the importance of sometimes making really tough calls based on your gut feel, not just logic, not just the data. So let's listen in to Kerry's amazing story. There's an old saying, it doesn't get much better than this. So just imagine this. It's the year 2000. It's the Sydney Olympics. The Sydney Olympics. Yes, it's your hometown. And you're on Bondi Beach, an absolutely iconic landmark of Australia, if not the world. And there, in those final minutes, you win an Olympic gold medal, perhaps the epitome of sporting and personal excellence. Well, that's exactly what our next guest on Enterprise Radio has done, Kerry Potthurst. So welcome to Kerry Potthurst. For those of you that don't know, and I would suggest there's very, very few, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about who you are, Kerry, and your journey in going for gold. Well, if you're, you were anywhere near a TV set or a radio about, I say, 13 years ago in the, in the year 2000, there was a little game of beach volleyball happening at Bondi Beach. That's probably what I'm most remembered for. Myself and Natalie Cook took out the gold medal in front of 10,000 screaming Australians Wow! Um, against the Brazilians who were the favourite for the event and we knew we were going to match up with them in the event. Um, and uh, that was kind of, like you said, it was the, the, the peak of my career, I guess, at 35 years old, winning a gold medal in front of my home country, at, in my home country, in my home state, yeah. just on the wrong yeah. side of the bridge, because now I'm a Northern Beaches girl. But <laughs> well, you know, there's always another, uh, there's another hurdle to, to, to push through. Um, so that's, I guess, one of the things you're, you're most known for. But uh, uh, you're a lot more than that. Uh, who are you as, as a person apart from a, an Olympian and a gold medalist? Well, before I got to that point, obviously, I'd been slogging it out for over 20 years, playing wow. volleyball, indoor volleyball first and beach volleyball. So I've been an athlete. As, as Sport has been my career, I guess. Um, I haven't been paid along the way as a, as a career, as a sports person, until I started playing beach volleyball. So the first 10 years of my sporting career I had jobs just to pay for me to play for Australia so I did my dues then um, laid down all the foundations 
and then um, had a, a fairly serious knee injury in my mid-20s and that was pretty much the end of my indoor career. And at that point, I, because I'd been so focused on sport, I really didn't know what else to do. So I tried to make a comeback, couldn't make it back onto the indoor floorboards and decided to try the softer surface beach volleyball and away I went for another 10 years. Um, I retired in 2006. I'm now a mum. I have a beautiful husband and a beautiful young son, Tyson, who's seven. Um, I love gardening. I love just looking after my home and I still enjoy traveling. I do a lot of motivational speaking around the country and occasionally overseas, which is always nice. <laughs> Get a nice trip Absolutely. overseas. I've been a coach in my sport. I coach for a couple of years on the world tour. So I've been in a leadership role as a coach and also in my team. Um, and now as a mum, I guess it's probably the, the most important leadership role I've ever had. It's, it's the one, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of lessons there for leaders too, and we're going to touch on those. First of all, I guess, you know, nothing happens overnight. You know, 20 years of hard slog. Uh, so for many people that, you know, want to be overnight sensations and, and, <laughs> uh, and go from a uh, you know, grad to a CEO in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, it's, uh, it's a different story. The reality is a different story. The other thing I love too is you did it for the passion too. Um, um, uh, another great lesson is you know, how do we bounce back your knee injury uh, it could have been the end of it but you looked around you looked at other possibilities as all great leaders did you had that resilience in you and you knew that uh, this could just be the beginning of something uh, else not the end of, 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 of where you were going um, so um, I love also the fact that you talked about um, being a, um, a mum as the greatest, uh, greatest leadership role um, so um, how, how's Tyson as, as a lad? Is he, is he following his mum's footsteps? <laughs> well, he seems fairly sporty. He's also following his dad's footsteps. He's a Canadian, so he grew up with okay. ice hockey and snowboarding and wow. was very talented in himself as a sports person, never at the sort of national level, but within his own right. So, yeah, Tyson has no chance of not playing sport. He loves it anyway, <laughs> Isn't which that is great? good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, it, it really is at seven years old, it really is important and I'm really noticing it more and more. He's learning so much every single day that it's so important for me to be a great role model and for the things that I do every single day, I need to be thinking, well, he's watching, he's listening, he's learning. So I think I'm learning even more and yes. I feel like I, I never feel like I've learned enough about anything. I always feel like I'm learning every single day. It's the mark of a great uh, leader, isn't it? We talk about leaders, leaders are learners and, uh, and the other thing too is you know, we cast a big shadow as a leader. I love the fact that you're so aware that he's watching your every movement and it's not necessarily what you say, it's what you do that really counts, which once again, great leaders get. So tell me, um, you're a great influence on his life. Who have been some of the great influences on your life to give you that mindset and that determination um, to do what you've achieved? Well, when I look back at my um, childhood and my teenage years, I had a very strong father. He's passed away now, but he was a, from German descent, very tall, very loud, very outgoing. He was a salesman in his early years in Australia, and he was a lot of fun. Um, always laughing at his own jokes more than anybody else. Dad jokes, I think yeah. we call them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I loved him so much and um, I think he was a, a great influence in sport. My parents always encouraged me to play sport. They were there to take me to every event, every training session, rain, hail or shine, whatever time of day it was, they were always supporting me. Although I didn't start playing sport until 
my mid-teens, about 15 is when I picked up volleyball. So that was quite late. Um, and you know, from then on, it, it wasn't long that they had to drive me around because very quickly I got my license, but they supported me the whole way and they were my biggest fans. Um, and then I guess through my indoor volleyball career, I played for Australia for 10 years on the indoor volleyball courts. I had an amazing coach in South Australia, Sue Dancy, who she was tough. Right. There were times when I didn't like her and the team was annoyed with her or frustrated with her, but she pushed us in a way that just got the best out of us. It was really, at the time, I, I didn't feel it. I didn't know what was happening and most of the time I didn't like her. But then when you look back, I mean, I absolutely love her for the way, the tough love yes. that she gave us. And I think I've, I've kind of picked up a bit of that myself. Another great leadership lesson too. We, one of our programs, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You, we talk about a definition of leadership as a leader excites people to exceptional performance. And exciting isn't just like jumping up and down and rah-rah, it's raising the standards, it's being tough sometimes. And obviously the exceptional performance came because of it, if you say that, that, that tough love. Yeah. And I wonder about your dad too, I know it's a stereotype, but the, we have this, uh, but the, the discipline often associated with that Germanic background, was that also of your dad's ilk? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, I remember my parents being really um, full on with us with discipline, table manners, politeness you know all sorts of manners on and off the court I guess Um, but in a fun way still we had a lot of fun we spent a lot of time outdoors we spent a lot of time playing sport um, different sports that we could find you know we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up we grew up in Adelaide so we'd go camping we'd go to the beaches where you could go with your cars on the beach and we'd just unload the car and I bet you didn't I bet you didn't even know at the time you didn't have a lot of money (laughs) no you just had a life I just thought this was great I probably thought we were rich you know well you were it was amazing you were in many ways and so do you think that discipline that your dad had and 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 the discipline he gave you around doing the right thing matters and so forth flowed into your life as an athlete athlete Absolutely. I think being disciplined within a team was really something that Mm. I learned early on, whether it was from my dad or whether it was from the environment with my coach, my indoor volleyball coach. We had a really well-disciplined team where we respected each other on and off the court. She always respected us and we respected her, even though at times, you know, she'd push our buttons and, and, you know, but we'd play for her. We'd we'd, um, always lift for her and for the team. Yeah. But I find that the discipline, I have greater discipline in a team environment than I do when I'm on my own. What a great what a great insight. I know you've talked a lot about team already, the team with family and the team with Natalie and the team with your early uh, indoor uh, volleyball days. Uh, I guess uh, there's a great saying, no one makes it on their own. Mm. And so uh, talk about that because your ability to actually work with others has obviously been a major part of your success as well. Yeah, it has. Um, When I first started playing indoor volleyball, I looked up to all the older members in my team. They were my role models and I wanted to be like them. And I think that's an important part of me going up a ladder in anything that I've ever done is I look up. I don't look down, I don't look around, but I look up to the person who's got the skills that I want to achieve. And I try and model myself in a sense on them and I want to be as good as them. Then I look up to the next level and the next level. So I started off wanting to be the best in my under-17 state team. And then in my open women's state team. And I'll I'll always remember the moment that I felt like I'd made it. (laughs) Not It wasn't the Olympic gold medal. It was a moment when I was substituted onto the court in an international match for one of my role models. 
and it was only supposed to be for a short amount of time and I ended up staying for the, on for the rest of the match. Now, I don't even remember if we won or lost. I just remember the feeling of going, oh, wow, I'm going on for this person I've looked up for, to for so long. I've got to lift. Yes. And obviously I lifted to the occasion and I guess that was a first time. It'd be like subbing for pressure. Michael Jordan or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't yeah. that fantastic? Yeah. But isn't it great that I love that concept? What a great thing for young leaders coming through don't don't look down don't look sideways but look up look 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 at the people that you most admire and and start to take on some of the traits and the characteristics of what they do Uh, fantastic so um let's talk about um this gold medal performance because obviously uh you were obviously an overnight sensation after 20 years (laughs) (laughs) and uh but the discipline and the journey there is an interesting one and I, I think if leaders are going to have followers and lead other people, one of the most important things they can do is to learn to lead themselves. And as I said before, winning an Olympic gold is the uh, epitome of leading self. So tell us a bit about how the decision started there and the journey to Olympic gold. Well, it depends where you want to start that journey. I guess the journey started when I'm injured by knee at the age of 27 and I was pretty much resigned to the fact that I couldn't play on the hard floorboards anymore so I set some new goals and the first thing that I did and it was because of somebody else one of my close friends gave me a brand new white volleyball my boyfriend actually at the time and he and the first thing I did because I I basically had just come out of surgery and I was in a lot of pain and I'd lost so much weight already and I was quite depressed and he said Kerry why don't you write some goals on this volleyball and and put some dates on it and then bit by bit kind of work out how you're going to get back to playing for Australia again. And at the time, no one had actually said to me I couldn't do it, but we all just assumed that that was it because I'd really, I I ruptured my cruciate, I ruptured my medial ligament, I wrecked all my meniscus and cartilage, so I blew it to to smithereens, basically. A good job. (laughs) After never having an injury in 10 years, I did it all in one lock. So... um, I started to fill the ball in and it started with just walking in water and running in water and I gave myself little steps every month to try and get back and, and I ended up following that, that ball and bit by bit I got to the point where I tried to play again. Um, but after probably eight to ten months I realised it was it was almost going to be impossible. My, my knee joint just couldn't handle um, you know the, the hard floorboards. But what I love about that is that once again from pain and despair luckily someone came along but the importance of actually setting a goal no matter where oh. you're at setting a goal having a date and how wonderful to bring it alive not just to set a date but to put it on a physical thing mm. that you could actually see that goal written it was the most important part of my re- rehabilitation without mm. any doubt and it, it gave me hope it was sitting in front of uh, in front of me reminding me that this is what I want to do again. Now, whether I get there or not, at least it gave me hope. At least it gave me something to do step by step by step. gave me something to focus on. It gave, gave me the ability look, to look forward rather to, than, you know, focusing on what had happened to me and woe is me and poor me while all my friends were off traveling around, you know, still representing the state or the, 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 the nation playing overseas or whatever. Here I was, you know, sitting on my couch in a little dark house in Adelaide, being depressed, but it gave me something to to focus on. And this is what leaders do too. I love the fact it gave me hope. One of our another definition of leadership is a leader is a dealer in hope. And you gave yourself hope. And in some tough times that you know, maybe we're coming out of it now, but 
businesses have been through some tough times. Uh, give yourself, pe- your people, something to do. Give them something to focus on and make them look forward. And that's what this did for you too. So, so that was the beginning. What was next? Well, after that, I, I started playing beach volleyball when I couldn't play indoor anymore. And straight away, I was successful at it. And I thought, wow, maybe this is something that I can go even further than indoor volleyball with because it was going to be an Olympic sport for the first time ever in, t- uh, in three years' time, I think, at that point. I had three years to try and get to my first Olympics. And um, because we'd had some international success, I thought I'll give it a try. And I was playing with my best friend at the time. And um, I saw this young whippersnapper by the name of Natalie Cook and thought, well, maybe she's going to make a better partner for me and we can go further. So I had to make a really serious decision at that time. And this was a turning point too, because here was my best friend on one hand and here was this young girl untested on the other hand. I knew that if I, I dumped my best friend, literally dumped her to play with somebody else, I would lose her as a friend initially. Yeah. Um, but I had the opportunity to see how far I could go with Natalie. I actually even asked, as most people do, asked other people's opinions. I asked our national federation. I asked other players, other coaches, who do you think I should play with? Do you think you know I'd be better off with this one or that one? And probably 80% of the people told me I should stay with um, my friend because it was tested and, you know, we knew where we sat. We were the second or third ranked team in the country. And if I played with Natalie, that there were no guarantees that we'd do very well. And our federation even said to us, if you don't finish in the top five in the next, in the world, top five in the world in the next two events, we won't give you any funding. So I had additional pressure Mm. from them as well. Um, but I went with my gut. You made the call. I made the call and I went with my gut because I knew that if I didn't go with my gut, I'd always be thinking, what if, what if, what if, and I'd never give it 100%. No, and and once again, uh, some other incredible lessons for leaders. There will be tough calls that every leader has to make. You can gather the data. You can talk to other people, but at some point you're paid to lead by making, by trusting your own intuition. And I, what I love about what you've done here is you just didn't do that by you did at least bother to get those opinions, but ultimately backed yourself, backed Natalie, and uh, the rest is history. So, so this young whippersnapper Natalie uh, comes <laughs> along, and what's next after that? Well, very quickly, the next big turning point was that we realised in Australia we were we already had because our sport was very new. We already had a wealth of knowledge. Um, after only a couple of years or a year together and we knew that there weren't that many coaches in the country to actually take us to the next level so we thought we're going to step out of our comfort zone we're going to go overseas to one of the two top nations in the world at our sport one was brazil one was american america we don't speak portuguese we speak english so we went (laughs) to america and we literally interviewed coaches and again this is where this is this is a point that i drive home when I'm speaking is that you need to go out and seek someone to help you get to the next level. You need coaches, you need mentors, you need people that are going to to, to teach you what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. Um, so we literally interviewed five coaches on the beaches of California by getting them to take us through a training session. 
and we found um, one guy. We gave him a second interview, <laughs> allowed him to train us again for this another like, session, <laughs> and then reach volleyball idol. <laughs> yeah, and then we and he wasn't um, he wasn't a top coach in the country at that time. He was just he was kind of retiring from playing and getting into a little bit of coaching. But we loved his theories. We just connected with him, mm. and his theory was trying to. We had to get better really quickly. We didn't have the same amount of hours that the Americans and the Brazilians had under their belt. So we had to find ways of making points very quickly without doing all the extra hours that we needed to do because physically I still had my knee to worry about yeah. and we just didn't have the time. Mm. So Steve Anderson, the coach that we found, he had all these new techniques and he needed a team to trial them with and all these new strategies that hadn't been seen yet in our game. And we thought, wow, well, maybe match. maybe this is the key we need. We mm. need to try something new to try and catch up on all those years. So yeah. we risked. We risked. We innovated. We were unique. We stepped out of the box. We stepped out of our comfort zone. And we made Steve a, an unforgettable offer. We offered him <laughs> to come give up his life in America, come and live in Australia <laughs> until the Olympics. Um we said when we're in Perth, where I lived at the time, you can stay in our spare room. And when we're in Brisbane, you can live with Natalie's parents. <laughs> I mean, with hotel accommodation like that, how could you say no? <laughs> and, well, we also offered him 500 bucks a week. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> and you know what? He took it. And that's another thing I like to say is that, you know, unless you ask, you'll never find out. There are so many people mm. out there willing to help, help you get ahead. Um but unless you ask, you won't know. So let's review some, once again, it's interesting that here you are in what people might say, well, how is that leadership? But the leadership lessons here are just coming through in bucket loads. One, no one makes it on your own. You, you knew that you needed some outside thing. We say we don't. you don't see your own stuff. And even at your elite level of performance, it's interesting how you still sort out a coach. For our coaching clients, I think this is a very important point to listen to, so get yourself a coach. The other thing was the sense of urgency. We find a lot of businesses that cruise that never have that sense of urgency uh, don't therefore need to look at a different way of doing things. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to a business is a major disaster because it actually creates speed and therefore creates more risk and innovation, and that's exactly what you did. You really stepped out of your comfort zone. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that uh, you know you don't you don't ask, you don't get. So the courage of doing that. So Steve was uh, taken aboard and living in luxury uh, in accommodation for his five hundred dollars a week. And what's the next step? Well, then we gave him an Aussie tracksuit and went off to the Atlanta Olympics and um, had an amazing experience there. And the funny thing is, our goal for Atlanta was to win a medal. And yet we found ourselves in the semi-final in Atlanta where a win on that day was going to get us through to the medal, uh, either a gold or a silver, and a loss would get us through to the bronze playoff. Um, and it, it really was interesting when I look back now at the different beliefs that we had in Atlanta and in Sydney because there is absolutely no way we believed we could win a gold medal in Atlanta, whether we said it or not. We... we believe we could win a medal but when when it really came to the the crunch moment we completely mm. choked because all we could think about in the semi-final we've already got there yeah well no opposite all we oh. could think about was please don't lose don't lose don't lose ah, okay. oh, what happens if we lose so we kept thinking of the worst case scenario and this is where i, I sometimes um 
get a little bit frustrated because some people always want to focus on, oh, the, this could happen. This is the worst case scenario. Let's get prepared for that. Well, yes, you need to be prepared, but focus and be more prepared for winning. Um, and this was the difference between Atlanta and Sydney. And I could go into a much greater detail about how we felt and what happened in Atlanta. But in Sydney, the night before the finals, Natalie and I were both lying awake Neither of us could sleep. And when I asked her a few weeks after, what was she thinking about that night? She said, I was practicing my victory speech. And I said, so was I. Wow. So that is, it's such a difference. In four years, we developed the belief that we could be the best Mm. in the world. And and that's at the heart of it. And I love the concept of the before you were thinking about not losing. Mm. And now you were thinking about winning and even practicing the fact that you'd already got there. Practicing and looking further than the win as well. Mm. And this is what we, on the way to Sydney, we developed um, our plan. And our plan wasn't just to win a gold medal, it was to, to become or live our lives with a gold medal excellence, a gold medal standard, and along the way, the gold medal would be part of that. So two years before the Olympics, we put together our plan. It was called Gold Medal Excellence, in fact. And it was like a business plan, and we worked out what we needed to do to beat the best teams in the world, who we needed to be, and we started to be that two years before Sydney. So we became Olympic gold medalists in 1998. (laughs) And then we had a lot of fun with it as well because our success coach, which is another person we brought on board after Atlanta because we realized we needed someone to help us with our belief, Um, our success coach um, got us to to put the plan together and he also got us to collect gold things. He said, if you want something in your life, start surrounding yourself with it. So we thought, oh, we'll start collecting gold stuff. So we we had a lot of fun with it. We told the media about it. We told the media, we weren't, we weren't afraid to tell the media we were going to win a gold medal in Sydney. <laughs> you know, they would go, well, how can you be so certain? Well, because we're living our lives with gold medal excellence. We're doing the things that we have to do right now, two years beforehand. Yeah. And if we do that for two years, by the time we get to Bondi Beach, 25th of September, the day of the final, we knew the date. By the time we get there, it had to be. it'll just happen. Once again, look at the lessons here. I love what you just said, Kevin. I wrote down... We decided it wasn't just the gold. It was the it was the gold beyond the gold and the gold beyond the gold. It was to live our lives at a gold medal standard of excellence. And the gold medal was simply a a, a representation of that. The importance of belief um, and the importance of uh, of surrounding yourself with what you. Um, uh, you're going to be, not just achieve. So tell us about the gold. If you surrounded yourself with gold, what gold did you surround yourself with? What goal or gold? Gold. You said oh, you, you said Oh, we collected gold stuff. Gold, so anything, yeah, gold stuff, yeah. Anything that came in the colour gold. Um, so it would just be in our vision every single day. So Natalie, Curic, our success coach, asked Natalie or said to Natalie one time, if you want a gold medal, you need something to put it in. So she got herself an upside-down fish tank had a bit of gold edging around it, so she bought it in a fish shop. She put some wood underneath it, and she started filling it with gold things, and she put her dad's gold medal from some soccer tournament. Um, I remember collecting gold, the Easter eggs from from Easter that year and keeping the ones, not not (laughs) eating the ones that were coloured gold. Um, (laughs) Natalie had gold boxes. Um, what else did we have? I had a little gold glass that I brought. We had gold volleyballs. We had gold uniforms that we had Speedo make us. Anything that was 
anything that we had an option to buy or to use or to get or if people were giving us they'd give it to us in, in the colour gold yeah. because it, it became a theme it was just a fun theme yeah. and I think the reason why I look back and think that was a good thing it wasn't anything to do with winning that volleyball match it was the fun yeah and which created I, the energy yeah it created the energy and it created it's just a whole part of the whole vision it was maybe a 3% part of the whole vision and the mm. whole planning the whole um, environment that we surrounded ourselves in but it was the fun part too and I think sometimes um, when we get too serious about a goal then we, we lose the fun part and it just gets all too hard and I think we, we've got to keep that there and that lightness there and I, yeah and I'll remember one person who said something to me at the Olympics um, and her name I think everyone will know is Dawn Fraser wow. um, after our first match that we nearly lost at the Sydney Olympic Games, we came out in front of 10,000 people and it just blew our minds. Every time we won a point, it was just so loud, the scream of celebration. And then every time we lost a point, there was just a really loud, oh, you know, we feel so sorry for you. And so <laughs> we just was, we were going up and down. Overwhelmed this, almost. It, it was incredible. So we were so nervous. We almost lost, but we didn't. We, we won, finished off the match. And after the game, Dawn Fraser was in our area, in the athlete area, and she said, girls, you forgot something. And I'm thinking, what, what, give us some, you know, amazing thing that, Pearls of wisdom yeah, here, that we can bring into our next match. And she said, you just forgot to have fun. You gotta wow. have some fun. And we just went, we looked at each other and we knew that that was part of our plan. We knew how important it was and it was exactly what we'd forgotten to do, was just to enjoy the moment. Not run around and be silly, but just actually enjoy it rather than be freaked out by it. So by the time we played the final five matches, you later, were having fun. We were really enjoying it. Mm. And Isn't it interesting? Because people go, "Well, it's business," or it's either fun or it's business. But uh, this was tough business, winning a goal. But you also made it fun. It wasn't what we call the the tyranny of the oar. Is it going to be fun or is it going to be hard work? It was both. Yeah. It was fun and hard work. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I know, having heard you speak once, and for our listeners, so we'll talk about later on. But Kerry. If you ever want a motivational speaker to come to your um, your organisation, uh, you will not find anyone better in the world to uh, lift the performance of your people. And I do remember one of the things you talked about was the um, the, the uh, looking in the mirror with the goal. You want to talk <laughs> about that? I think that's well, an that incredible was, that was uh, example of yeah, surrounding yourself with goal. That was another thing. Um, Natalie did that particularly well, um, and I learned that off her. Um, and that was really creating that vision daily of what she wanted to achieve. And she stuck a gold disc on her mirror in her bathroom. So every, <laughs> she put it in a place where she would stand and brush her teeth. And every morning it would look like that gold disc was sitting on her chest. So it was just a constant daily reminder of what she was out to achieve. Wow, love it. A constant daily reminder staring you in the face and literally in the face literally. about what's going to happen yeah. to you. And we're so we're so busy every single day. There's so many things we have to achieve, and especially as women. And I'm no disrespect to all the male listeners, <laughs> but you know, often we've got family on top yeah. of career and and our own health and fitness and everything else. And you know, without I mean, I know just sometimes with nutrition, I've got to remember to get all little things ready. Otherwise, I'll just go to the pantry and eat the wrong things. You know, I shouldn't even have them in there. But you know, do you know yeah, what I mean? So you, you just have to be reminded daily. And I'll put up lists, or I'll put, you know, I'll put pictures up or something to remind me of what I'm trying to achieve. So the constant thing, I guess, for leaders is, uh, you know, don't just 
give people figures at the end of the week or month or whatever, have them up on the walls, have something visual there that people can look at so they can also gather around it and make it come to life, as you mm. said, to visualise it. It was like the ball when I wrecked yeah, my knee, having exactly. the ball in front having of me something. every day. And so take us to that final game and maybe... Uh, so you've, you've, you've just scraped through without a lot of fun and then decided from now on you're going to have fun. Take us to the next steps in the next games. Um, well, the next game, I think, was Italy, and then we played China, then we played another American team. Oh, no, sorry, we played in a Brazilian team. So we beat both the Brazilian teams who were both uh, the Favourites, top teams yeah. in the world. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, it definitely wasn't a fluke. It was all part of the plan. But it was our plan and our goal to, to have beaten every team in the world before we went in there to give us that little bit of hope. But you know what? We'd never won an Olympic. Uh, we'd never won, not an Olympics even, but a, a tournament leading into that, an international tournament. We've won everything in Australia, but we'd never won a World Tour event out of probably up to 50, 60, 70 that we'd played. Sure, was. And so we'd come second, third, fourth, fifth so many times. We've How never badly got the did you want it, Kerry? Uh, I don't know if I wanted it badly. I think I just, I don't think, I don't know if I wanted the, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that ever. <laughs> In 13 years, I've been asked a lot of questions. I don't think I really wanted the gold medal. I think I wanted what it was going to give me as in the person it was going to make me. Wow. I knew what that a difference. I would just be, I guess in my coach's words, we would become legends in our in our sport. We would become yeah. amazing um, learned individuals. It would be a, a personal development journey, which I, is what I, they took us through. What, what, your, what your answer reminds me of how far I have to go <laughs> because here me, here's me focusing on what you're going to have. Yet I tell leaders, who are you going to be? Yeah. And your answer has told me, it, yes, it was important to get it, but what was more important was who you were going to be as, as a result yeah. of this. What a fantastic wake-up call for every leader. You go out there thinking about what you're going to do that day, what you're going to achieve, what numbers you're going to hit, um, how you're going to win market share, whereas the real leaders are focusing on who they're going to be. Yeah. So, um, And maybe, I guess, by the time you got there, you'd, you'd visualised it so much it was, uh, yeah. it was a bit of a natural flow. So that last game, wow. Uh, tell us <laughs> a bit about that. Well, when I look at the video, because obviously I can't remember much of it because it's just, I mean, the minute the last ball hit the sand, everything was just a complete <laughs> frenzied blur. Um but I think when I look at the video and try and remember how I was feeling, I was just thinking point by point. Just right. doing the job. I wasn't thinking ahead. I was yeah. just doing the job. Doing what I had job. to do. How do we make this better? How do we make this better became our slogan. We learnt that at the Olympics prior because we had such a massive um, opportunity to win that uh, semi-final and we let everything get to us. So how can we make it better became our slogan. Um, and so every point, it was just like, okay, what are we going to do next point? Okay, what are we, what are we going to do next point? Okay, now, and it was it was all the strategy came into one. The confidence was there. I mean, the last three serves, I served an ace and two really tough balls to get us over the edge and, and win the match. Um, and I think going back to serve those balls, which I'd done many times, I had a routine. I mean, as most athletes do, they have a routine when they need to, to be their best. And my routine was simply four or five words and those five words? words they were ball foot line toss hit so i would hold the ball i'd wait for the whistle 
I'd look at the ball, I'd have one foot forward, I'd look at the line where I wanted to toss the ball above, forward in front of me, I'd toss and then strike the ball. So that routine I used when I had a lot of distraction around me and I just need to focus back in because my serve was such a big weapon and it made us a lot of points. And so sometimes I actually verbalised it sort of in my head, other times I didn't. But when I really needed it, I'd just done it so many times in the years leading up to that. I could just go ball, foot, line, toss, hit, and it would just bring me straight back to the action. And a great, uh, a great learning for all leaders as well, too, that uh, the best have routines, mm. the best have rituals. There's so much going on. I remember talking to a pilot once, and he said, as much as there's all this on automatic and there's all these instruments, even when they land, he still goes through bump, B-U-M-F, brakes, undercarriage, mixtures, flaps. And you'll find uh, that, that the more professional you are, the more you have these amazing rituals. Mm. I also love the fact that once you set the goal, it was just point by point. Mm. You know, what leader could do? Just point by point, make the call, do the follow-up. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, this, this, this incredible passion to make it better. How do we make it better? How do we make it better? How do we make it better? So you made it better, and uh, can you can you remember much about the crowd and what they were saying at the time? <laughs> well, it was interesting because I, I I liken the crowd during that match, and it took the entire Olympics to get me to that point of just being a blur. It was like having um, glasses on that aren't your glasses, and everything's blurry. You're looking out, and and like having earmuffs on, you, you can hear. There's a lot of noise, but you can't hear the specifics of the noise. And then when that last ball landed out, because I had to follow it, it was part of you know yes. what you're taught to do, run, yes. make sure it's not going to... I knew it was going out. No matter what, follow no it matter through. Out. Yeah. Yep. And I saw it go out and then I collapsed on the ground and <laughs> Natalie collapsed on top of me. And then when I looked up, it was kind of like the glass sort of shattered, my glasses shattered and the earmuffs, earmuffs and you came heard it off. for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I heard them and I looked up and I saw all these faces and all of a sudden I could see the faces and... I had no idea where my family was. And it's really interesting because it's very different for Natalie because she was the crowd um, jester. She would be like cheering and waving her getting arms, them up, yeah. getting them excited for her, and, and she'd be right into it. She knew where her family was and everything. And it's just different how we both were able to sort of focus under those conditions. So yes. I had to block everything out to enable me to focus on my team, whereas Natalie could go in and out and in and out Mm. Maybe if she focused more, she would have played better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you see, even now, even now, listeners, how do we make it better? How do we make it better? Uh, but it's also interesting too that you know you you are very different characters. For people who know you, you are very very different characters, and yet that diversity is what makes up a great team. Um, oh, absolutely. I think so. I mean, I was like a, a mother figure in a sense, big sister, but then on, at the same time had to be her peer and, and be equal and let her lead too because we couldn't have one leader in our team of two. We had to both lead at different times. So we led when the other one needed to be led. And that, was a, that took a while and it's like a marriage, it's like a relationship. Mm. It takes a while to work that out. You have to kind of tiptoe around a little bit sometimes and, and test the waters, but... I think there were times when I really needed Natalie to help and lift me and other times when she needed it from me and other times when you think 
the other person needs it and they don't and you end up fighting. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you. I don't input. need it. Get away. <laughs> and once again, uh, the great leaders, uh, I've never known a great leader who didn't also know how to be a great follower. Yes. You know, there's a time to actually, so your leadership sometimes is your followership, your mm. capacity to be able to follow. Tell me about one time, I do remember you talked at one of your tremendous keynotes about how they were yelling out at one point for the USA, USA, USA. And I mean, what do you do when someone's yelling that? How do you turn that around? Because we talked about leaders, no matter what happens, reframe the situation so it's in your favour. Tell us what you did then. Yeah, that was actually in Atlanta. Um, we were playing okay. playing the Americans for the bronze medal. Right. And we had already started to think, well, let's kind of get into a better frame of mind. How can we make this better? And we sat down in a timeout and I said to Nat, oh, God, that chant, that USA, USA, it's really starting to get to me. And she just kind of looked at me and said, Kez, turn the letters around. <laughs> USA. Oh, I'm like, USA, USA, what does that stand for? Oh, you mean AUS? <laughs> and she said, yeah, they're cheering for us. They're just all those Americans yeah, are just dyslexic. <laughs> that's right. They've just got it back to front. And, of course, the first thing I did was laugh. Yeah. And or just kind of give it a little, like, Ugh. <laughs> and then we went back out onto the sand and they started chanting again and we looked at each other and started sort of just singing AUS, AUS, and it just relaxed us. It really just relaxed us and made us forget about, or change the situation. Instead of it being a distraction, it was an attraction, you know. But it didn't change it the situation. It changed your changed ability our, to yeah, believe yeah, with exactly. it. This is the whole thing. You reframe that situation. Exactly. Sometimes in life you can't change things, but you can certainly change your response to them. Exactly, and that's what we did. And like I said, instead of a distraction, it was an attraction. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. So, I, I mean, uh, that's what you've done then. And knowing you, I mean, I... <laughs> And listeners, I can absolutely assure you that Kerry's best years are yet to come. Oh, I um, hope so. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, what I, I know uh, there's many parts of you, but what would you like to be remembered for, and what's ahead for Kerry Potters? I would like to be remembered for just being a, a good person and, and being good at what I do. Um, when I say being good, putting in the best effort, always giving 100%, always um, um, being loyal, being respected. Um, the things that I really hold important, respect and loyalty. Um, and being a great mum, you know, that's, that's the most important thing for me now is just to bring up a, a beautiful child and being a good wife and... And a good friend to my girlfriends. Um, yeah, I've done all the sports stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't need to be remembered. I've got enough memories for oh, Absolutely. That. It's time for, get, time for pushing ahead. Yeah. And I, one of the things that um, I guess our listeners should know is just how much you give back. I, I don't think I've ever been to a charity gig where there isn't a, uh, a something signed by yourself or a, <laughs> a, a, a keynote that you're giving to support um, you know, uh, various charities along the way. Um, so uh, I also know too that you're, one of the ways you're giving back now is to sharing some of these strategies um, in, in the personal world and, and, and the corporate world. Um, I've had the, for the listeners, I've had the pleasure of, uh, of hearing one of uh, Kerry's keynotes and it's, it's absolutely superb. It's so motivating and so many takeaways for people. And I know you've also got uh, um, uh, workshops that you do and also some longer term programs and of course your book could you maybe tell our listeners about some of the things you are doing now and if they wanted to how they could get access to you 
access to me all through you of course if they wanted to um, also I have a website which is kerrypotast.com so they can email me info at kerrypotast.com but what I'm doing these days and have been doing for many years now is motivational keynote speaking and you know what I absolutely still love it I still love telling the same stories because even today every time I speak I remember something else or some other point comes through and I think the journey of a sports person, especially when they've been through so many things like I, that, that I've been through and two different sports and major injuries and Olympic games and wins and so many losses, is there's so many lessons that you can get from it. Absolutely, and I, yeah. The lessons just, they just come out in, in reams, I guess, when, you, when I start telling my story. Um, and so, yeah, keynote speaking, look, I wouldn't have thought 13 years down the track people would still... Um, love listening to me speak but they obviously do because I'm extremely busy and travel around Australia frequently but just recently I've, I've realized how much I motivate people one-off and I know because I get a lot of feedback through social media but also just on the day people come and say well that was great now I'm going to do this and you've re-inspired you've reignited my passion for this or that and I, I think Isn't that's that fantastic yeah. but I know that in a few days time or a couple of weeks they'll have forgotten it and so what I want to do now is is get out there and spend a, a greater amount of time with people so I've developed a, a four-month program a corporate athlete program where I want to obviously uh, inspire and motivate people but also educate them on how they can get more out of themselves more out of their bodies more energy out of their bodies so they can live a, a really fulfilling mm. life in their careers but also have the balance in their personal life so it covers mindset which i talk a lot and we've talked a lot about today yeah. nutrition hydration movement and recovery and i've specifically gone away from calling movement fitness or exercise movement, yeah. but just movement and, and recovery is such a big thing for leaders too massive mm. and you know as an athlete we don't we never, oh, I never trained as many hours as you would work at your peak. You know, you guys work are mm. working 40, 50, whatever hours a week, however many weeks a year, yeah. and often for four decades. Yeah. But as an athlete, and I had a long career, 20 years, I never worked that many hours, but I had a lot of recovery and downtime to, so I could peak in the times that I was playing. So, you know, it's so important, the recovery side of it. We forget well that, don't we? Recovery with family, recovery for self uh, yeah. Just, just emotional recovery as well too. And how do we um, uh, that program? How long is it? Is it how long is it with a month? Four, four, four month, months. Four months, right? Yep, four months. Because I want to be able to hold hands with people along mm. the way. So I want to start off by inspiring them, motivating them, and getting them excited. We're going to set some goals. We're going to make some plans. We're going to break up into groups and look at the different areas. And then they're going to go back and try and change the environments within their work stations or their 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 um, groups back in their different departments and then come back in every couple of weeks and we'll learn something new and then also do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with them as well. Wow, tremendous. So, so I would think that that would build an amazing team, uh, which you talked about. I would think it would build amazing resilience for the individuals and it sounds like it's got a lot of stickiness because yeah. it's four months and they get the personal one-on-one -on -one as well. How many would you have in a group, Kerry, when you do that program? I think 20 is right. a good number. Right. Anything more than that gets too diluted. Right. Anything less than that, we're more one-on-one, -on -one, which is great. But 20 is a good number, good value for money for the mm. corporate. And at the end of it, I want to have some fun. I'm going to take them all out onto the beach and play volleyball with them. <laughs> oh. There's the fun part to well, finish off and bring them all together true, at the end. True to your values uh, <laughs> as you talk. 
Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to learn about you as the as the um, you know as, as not just the uh, the athlete that you are, as really now the the corporate trainer and facilitator that you've you've become. And uh, just wanted to say uh, what a what an absolute pleasure it's been to interview a, a a great Australian, a great Olympian, but as our listeners have heard, an even greater human being. Uh, so Kerry Potters, thank you. Thank you, Paul. And I just want to say too that I'm learning from you. So you're my next step up. I'm looking at you. Watch out. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> look, he's looking at you, kid. <laughs> thanks, thanks, listeners. We'll see you next time on Enterprise Radio. Thank you. Well, how great was that? I mean, the leadership lessons just pour out of Kerry, don't they? Things like the importance of rituals and discipline, ball, foot, line, toss, hit. The importance of having a success coach. We'd love that to be us, by the way. Uh, how visualizing your goals is essential. Um, how you can achieve and have fun. They don't need to be mutually exclusive. And what about belief, 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 belief. And how to reframe barriers when the going gets tough. But the lesson I will live with forever is that is not just to focus on the goal, but what uh, that goal will do for you. And for Kerry, of course, it was how to live their life with gold medal excellence. So if you want to help your people get that energy that Kerry spoke about and achieve gold medal performance, please get in touch with her uh, for her keynotes, maybe a copy of her book or for a longer program that she spoke about. And again, and we'll leave this for you on the site, it's info at kerrypotters.com or just call the Human Enterprise. Uh, We'll give you Kerry's details. So I hope you've really loved this Enterprise Radio interview with Kerry as much as I have. I'm Paul Mitchell, speaker and author. How will you live your life with gold medal excellence?